0: Thanks for listening to Grounded, a podcast by the Oregon Department of Energy. After we recorded this week's episode, Hanford's Burping Tank, the Hanford site declared a site area emergency after a tunnel at the Purex facility partially collapsed. So we followed up with Ken Niles, Odo's Assistant Director for Nuclear Safety, about the incident in Hanford and Oregon's response. So Ken, we had an interesting week here at the Oregon Department of Energy.
1: We certainly did.
0: So we get into work on Tuesday, and we get word from Hanford that something's going on. You want to walk me through your Tuesday morning?
1: Sure. My uh, actually my Tuesday morning started down in Corvallis because we were doing a training for hazmat team members on response to a transportation accident. And during my presentation, my phone started blowing up on my hip, and. Immediately after the, my presentation ended, took a look, saw what was going on, and, uh, and hit the road back to Salem, and was in touch with uh, some of our staff here who were uh, making some initial calls about the, uh, the emergency at Hanford. It started with uh, an alert level emergency, and under our own procedures, an alert is kind of an in-between area in terms of what we do. Uh, we have a, an agency emergency operations center which we automatically activate at the next level of emergency, which is a site area emergency. Uh, we weren't there yet with the initial notification, but we, you know, we, we needed to start getting more information, figuring out what was going on, getting people internally notified, getting a few other agencies that, uh, that play a key role with this notified as well.
0: What was going on at Hanford? Why, why the alert level that eventually rose to a site area emergency?
1: So at Hanford, uh, among the many things they have there, they have two tunnels. And and tunnel's a little bit of a, I think, a misleading term because people think of a tunnel as being something very deep. And these are really trenches that were, you know, not so deep that were were, uh, with a cover on top. And they stored contaminated equipment from the Purex processing facility on rail cars in these two tunnels. And sometime Tuesday morning, somebody recognized that there was a hole in top of uh, the older of the two tunnels. Uh, The material that's inside the tunnels is expected to have pretty high radiation levels. They've not been able to test those uh, because of the anticipation you would not be able to get a person in. So it was a big deal to see that there was a a breach uh, roughly 20 by 20 feet.
0: And they just happened upon it because they were doing a routine check that morning.
1: Uh, they, I don't know that they were doing a routine check that morning. Uh, it, it's on a six-month schedule for inspections. The last inspection was in December. Uh, I think just people in the area, not exactly sure what they were doing, did notice that.
0: Well, that's uh, that's lucky. Who knows how long it could have sat there if somebody didn't notice it.
1: And we don't know how long it did sit there because right. we're not we're not certain when, when the uh, collapse of the tunnel actually occurred.
0: The good news was that it was pretty localized. Uh, they didn't expect any radiation to come out as a result of this, but they immediately went into emergency mode and, and took care of it, right?
1: They did. Once they, once they really realized what was going on under their protocols, uh, a breach in one of those tunnels does require them to declare a site area emergency. And a lot of things happen when you escalate to that level of emergency. So site workers are then uh, told to go indoors uh, shut off their HVAC systems so they're not getting outside air in, uh, no smoking, no eating, because if there is contamination uh, and it gets inside your body, that's when it can, can be much more harmful. So these are very basic precautions that they take when they get to that. Uh, they did not have indications that there would be any kind of a uh, spread of contamination, but, but they were, you know, erring on the side of caution. We had had in in Oregon, the Oregon-Hanford Cleanup Board, which is an advisory board to our agency. Uh, Ten years ago, we had a presentation on the Purex tunnels. I will say the Department of Energy at the time, the U.S. Department of Energy, was a little reluctant to do that because at the time, and up until this week, it was way down on the priority list for cleanup. But a lot of people had heard things about the Purex tunnels, and and we convinced them to come give give us a presentation. And the senior DOE manager that came and gave us a presentation had to do a lot of research. He had to dig into the old photo archives to see how and when they were constructed, what was in there. Uh, so we had a lot of information already within our agency about those, uh, about those tunnels. And when I first heard that it was a breach in the tunnel, uh, immediately I went to you know that presentation from 10 years ago. And knowing that it's solid, activated, large pieces of metal that really don't have anything that can disperse into the atmosphere, uh, it was pretty clear it was going to be a big deal, but it was going to be very localized.
0: So do you suppose uh, these two tunnels will now go up on the on the priority list?
1: I don't know how they could not. There was a, a risk study done at Hanford uh I think it was two years ago, by the Consortium for Risk Evaluation and Stakeholder Participation, which is called CRESP, which is a, a university-led um, uh, research uh, organization. They looked at most of the big cleanup issues at Hanford and, and really looked pretty deeply at them. Uh, there were some criticisms about the study, uh, about whether or not it was necessary, and Oregon was one of the ones that was critical as well. But one of the things to Cresp's credit that they identified that really hadn't been on people's radar was the Purex tunnels. I mean, we all knew they were there. We knew at some point something would have to be done with them. But they raised the issue of whether or not the structural integrity of these tunnels was did need to be checked out. And as a result of that, it actually did prompt action by the triparty agencies, so the U.S. Department of Energy and its regulators, to develop a schedule to at least assess the integrity of these tunnels. And I, I believe that was going to happen within the next year or two. So that, that aspect had already been elevated with the the incident that happened earlier this week, uh, and now a issuance of an administrative order by the state of Washington against the Department of Energy. That process will have to be accelerated. You know, and once, once they do look at and examine the integrity, uh, if the determination is that they're functionally still okay, or maybe some additional work needs to be done to secure this first tunnel, you know, the cleanup may still be 10, 20, 30, 40 years in the future, these tunnels. We're not, we we just don't know at this point.
0: It was an interesting twist of fate that we just finished our podcast where we were talking about the, the extent of the problem at Hanford. And we were talking that, you know, you can go along on the cleanup and Something happens that uh, grinds everything to a halt and reprioritizes the cleanup. And I think this is a good illustration of that.
1: It is. And, and you know, time is catching up with this in, in many respects. We had a, a double shell storage tank that leaked, um, which was 30 years old or so. This first tunnel was 60 years old when it was first built. There's a lot of other infrastructure and, and storage facilities at Hanford that are decades old. We're not going to be seeing waste coming out of the tanks, the underground tanks for treatment, for at least several years, if not a decade or more. So, it is a big issue, and and uh, unfortunately, it wouldn't be surprising if we saw additional problems in the future
0: with these tunnels or with With, infrastructure with something else. With something
1: else. Um, Hopefully, not the tunnels. The tunnels are now identified as as a higher priority, if you will. But other things, you know, the more leaking tanks, more, you know, decaying buildings, whatever it might be, because the the funds available to do the cleanup have, has just not been sufficient, and so it has really pushed things back uh, in many cases by decades.
0: So here in Oregon, the issue at Hanford raised to a site area emergency. So we activated our agency operations center. And you and I are obviously both a part of that agency operations center and you are the radiological event manager. And we do drills every year where we test this and we go through somewhat silly scenarios sometimes of, hey, what if this happened at Hanford, what would we do? And so I think it was really interesting to actually put that into action. Uh, For the first time for me, I don't know if you've ever uh, had to actually activate the AOC before.
1: We, we have in the past uh, I think the last time was back uh, about 2005 or six when they had a, a large a very large range fire across the Hanford site but yeah that's that's why we do these training drills they uh, we, we know what to do we know what our processes are uh, we have trained people and we have backups of trained people We had quite a few people on vacation this week uh, that would, typically have, have played a role in our agency operations center. Uh, but fortunately, we had others ready to step up and, and take those positions. Uh, we have other agencies as well that are involved. The Oregon Health Radiation Protection Services has a uh, field teams that they could send out to the area if there was a, a real threat of radioactive material getting into the air and getting into Oregon. You know, we certainly notified them, kept them apprised of what was going on, did not recommend that they had to go out and and do those surveys, and they did not. Uh, Oregon Department of Agriculture, we notified them. Again, playing out a larger scenario with with worse consequences, the concern could be, in terms of impacts, would be contamination into the food. And that certainly is the bailiwick of Oregon Department of Agriculture. Uh, They're the ones that have the authorities to quarantine food if needed again, in this case, not even close to needing that type of, of action. Um, but they were, but thankfully. <laughs> yeah. and, and, you know, they were involved. They were aware of what was going on. We communicated with Morrow and Uintilla counties. So those are the two Northeast Oregon counties that are closest to Hanford. There was discussion, communication with the governor's office, with uh, some key legislative leaders, with our Oregon-Hanford cleanup board. Um, so a lot of A lot of what we do is notification of of letting people know what is going on because there was a lot of misinformation and Mm -hmm. a lot of speculation and, in some cases, some grandstanding by folks about what was going on and what wasn't. And, you know, it's incumbent on us to get as accurate information as we can so that we can let people know what really is going on. Because one of our key responsibilities is to communicate with Oregon residents and say, Here's what's going on, here's what you do need to do, or in this case, there is nothing you need to do. And that's what we did.
0: Right, so in addition to notifying our partners, it's also our job to make sure the general public is aware. And so we had social media posts and we updated our website, we sent out a press release, and you did a couple of media interviews in addition to that. So I think that this was. It's an un- unfortunate that it happened in the, a real-world scenario, but at the same time, it, uh, it's good to know that we have these processes in place, and we executed it, I think, really well, and we'll know any, any improvements we can make next time if this does arise again, hopefully not for another decade or two.
1: And you always do learn something. Uh, you always, there's always room for improvement. One of the, one of the biggest failures typically is communication. And I, I thought, actually, in this case, communication went very well. Good. Uh, we, we got good information from the folks at Hanford. We often have staff in Richland, Washington for meetings, uh, and they would go over to Hanford's Emergency Operations Center. We did not have that this in this occasion. And, again, recognizing the limited impact of this incident did not decide to send somebody on that four and a half hour drive up there.
0: Right. If it had been a scenario where there maybe was a radioactive release, then we probably would have we sent def- We definitely would definitely have sent would have send people send somebody, up there. Yeah.
1: But since we didn't have people, we had to rely on, on the folks at the U.S. Department of Energy, and they have an off-site uh, liaison, and talk to those people uh, throughout the day of Tuesday and into Tuesday night and early Wednesday morning. Uh, and got good updates, got good information from them. And I, I think the folks in Hanford as well did a pretty good job of updating their social media and their website. And they tried a few different things in terms of communication tools they hadn't used before. And uh, for the most part, went pretty well, I thought.
0: Yeah, I thought they did a good, good job, too. They had a couple of Facebook Live videos throughout the day that uh, that got a number of views. So I think that was an effective tool, and it was helpful to us, too, in addition to the general public. Absolutely. So in the drills that we've done in the past, uh, you know, there's this big ramp up. We, uh, we execute the AOC, we get to work, and then when it ends, it ends pretty abruptly. And they just suddenly say, okay, the exercise is terminated and we're done. But uh, in the real world, it was it was pretty different.
1: It was different. And, and that's one of the calls uh, with the questions we made late on Tuesday was that, all right, the situation does seem to be relatively understood. Uh, it's not escalating. Uh, there's a plan in place for them to fill the hole. And and in talking with the folks up at Hanford, I said, so what happens next? How does this come down? How do, how do you scale down? And they said under their procedures, they were not allowed to ramp down. They, had to, they, they got to a side area emergency. They had to terminate the emergency by removing the problem that caused them to classify it as an emergency. So they had to get the hole plugged before they could scale down sure um so through the night and and it seemed at first they were they were moving a little bit quickly because we were talking about maybe starting to fill that hole on tuesday night during the night they're bringing in lights Uh, as they got into it a little bit more i think they they slowed themselves down thinking you know we don't have to there's no immediate hurry to do this in darkness we can we can wait till the morning they spent their time building an access road to the tunnel, to the, to the vicinity of the tunnel to get their heavy equipment in there, uh, waited for daylight, uh, which was seems to be a really good decision to do. And then through the course of uh, Wednesday and into late Wednesday night, uh, they did complete their, uh, their activities. They were able to terminate their side area emergency. And, uh, you know, they'll keep the area restricted. They're not going to let people into that area that, uh, that shouldn't be there. Uh, But there's going to be a lot of study going on in terms of what next to do, and there will be an evaluation of what what happened in terms of the emergency declaration and how everybody did in terms of their roles in responding.
0: And here in Oregon, we, we kept our AOC live through, I think, midday Wednesday, but then we will continue monitoring the situation and we'll continue getting updates from Hanford.
1: Yes, we will. We will do that.
0: Tune in to Grounded for future episodes about Hanford and about energy across Oregon.